0: Welcome again to our time together around God's Word looking toward the Lord Jesus Christ in this podcast known as Daily in Christ. I'm Mark Van Oos and it's a great pleasure to be here with you as we uh, gather around God's Word relying upon the Holy Spirit Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and learning about our Father's love. That's what this is all about. This is the good news of the gospel of grace. Well, this is part two of uh, a two-part series on the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our last episode, we were talking about the incarnation, and really, this is the most important truth uh, you know, if you celebrate Christmas, really, this is reason number one, and that is God with us. Incarnation literally means God in flesh. And this isn't some sort of abstract theology. It's about the closeness of God. As the prophet Isaiah, inspired of the Holy Spirit, said, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us and as we begin today's podcast let's take a moment right now and let's turn to the lord in prayer father and thank you lord that we can call you father what love we have been shown and given that we should be called the children of god and that is who we are because father you have accomplished all through your son jesus christ Father, thank you for the articulation of your heart and your mind through the scriptures. Thank you for the Bible, Lord. Thank you for this incredible gift that we have, that we can hold, that we can treasure, that we can learn as it directs us toward Jesus, as it directs us toward your heart. And Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible. Father, I pray that that Holy Spirit would Grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of our heart being enlightened may know the hope of our calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe like the working of your mighty strength which you exerted in Christ and you raised him from the dead and exalted him far above all principality and power. Seating him as ruler at your right hand. Dear Father, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, usually when I start off the podcast, if it's a continuing series, I like to do a little bit of a review. But today, it's going to be a review, but it's also going to key into the question we're going to look at. And that is so what does the incarnation have to do with me? Last time, we explored the questions, first of all, what is the incarnation. And then we spend quite a bit of time talking about, well, why the incarnation? Today, the focus will be, what does the incarnation have to do with me? And it has a lot to do with you and me in a great way. First of all, when we explored the question, what is the incarnation? I mentioned a moment ago, God in flesh. That's what uh, the incarnation means in flesh. And Incarnation spoken of, as far as Christianity is concerned, is God in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Easton's Bible Dictionary defines it as that act of grace whereby Christ took our human nature into union with his divine person, became man. Christ is both God and man. Human attributes and actions are predicated of him and he of whom they are predicated is God. A divine person was united to a human nature. The union is hypostatical, i.e. is personal. The two natures are not mixed or confounded, and it is perpetual. Well, that's a fairly short definition, but it's full of a lot of meaning. And if you missed the last podcast, you can download that one and, uh, hear the conversation about that. Last time we talked about why the incarnation and really that why the incarnation happens to answer the question we're dealing with today. So what does this all have to do with me? What does the incarnation have to do with little old me? So what I want to do is walk through the reasons of the incarnation that we uh, discovered, that we shared last time, And this time, what I like to do is connect those compelling reasons to the benefit that you personally have received, those who are in Christ. First of all, why did Jesus have to be made flesh? Why did he have to be made human? And last time we found that uh, in Romans chapter five, that there needed to be another Adam not Atom, A T O M, but another Adam, A D A M. That is another father or predecessor or progenitor of the human race. And we needed that other Adam. We needed to be a part of a new race of human beings, not in the cursed race of fallen Adam, which brought us into sin and death and condemnation making us a sinner deserving the wrath of god you see we needed to be a part of a new race of human beings um, but we needed to be in a race of the last adam the blessed race of the last adam and he brings us into righteousness life and the total love acceptance and blessing of god I know it was rather startling when I made the statement last time, but I believe it's thoroughly biblical. The problem with the human race isn't that they need to clean up their act and perform better. The problem is who they were born into. They were born into a sinner, they are a sinning line, and therefore the human race deserves death. Death is the only remedy, and it's either eternal death in hell or it's death in union with Christ at the cross. Why did Jesus have to be made flesh, made human? Well, uh, in Romans chapter six, we touched on this, to be brought into union with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Jesus experienced death for you. And he did that so that the old sinner you, in union with Christ and his death, you would surely die. And I just want to stop for a moment because this is a there are truths like this that we find in the New Testament, particularly in the Pauline letters. And people tend to talk about it in terms of a positional truth but the Bible doesn't use that term positional truth. It isn't position, it's reality. Just as real as Jesus died 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that God the Father through the Holy Spirit baptized you, united you with Christ. And so what is completely real about Jesus, and we'd never say that Jesus' death was a positional death, would we? That death was an Actual death. He really died. The humanity of Christ died. And just as much as he died, those who are in him, in Christ, they have died as certainly as he died. And that deals with the old sinner you. The old sinner you does not exist, contrary to what religion teaches. The old sinner you is dead. And when Jesus, three days later, experience resurrection he experienced that resurrection for you so that through his resurrection you are made a new creation a new you a saint not a sinner more than conquerors through him who loved you Well, there's so much I could say about the subject of union, but we have to go on. Do you see the benefit that happens being united with Christ? I like to use the illustration this way. Think of a bottle of water. You know, people carry these things around a lot these days. The water is inside the the bottle, right? Well, if I take that bottle of water and I go into the desert, where's the water? Well, the water is in the bottle. Where's the bottle? The bottle is in the desert. Therefore, the water is in the bottle in the desert. What if I take that bottle of water and I bring it along with me onto a jetliner and we go up 40,000 feet? Where's the water? The water is in the bottle. And the bottle is at 40,000 feet. So what is true of the bottle is true of the water. This is exactly the case about our life in Christ. Why did Jesus have to be made human? Another reason was you and I needed a perfect high priest. And a priest is taken from among men. And that high priest that we needed, needed to be one who was sinless, righteous, and pure. The priests under the old covenant, they were not sinless. They were not perfectly righteous. They certainly weren't pure. And so the sacrifices had to be repeated over and over and over and over and over again. That's the first few verses of Hebrews 10. But with a perfect high priest one who is sinless, one who is righteous, one who is pure, all is done and we don't need another sacrifice. This one who is declared in the book of Hebrews as king of righteousness, Melchizedek, and king of peace, this is the perfect high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the perfect mediator between God and you he offered a perfect sacrifice of himself. It wasn't the blood of bulls and goats. It was himself, his own body, his own blood. And because of that perfect sacrifice of a perfect high priest, you, my friend, and I, and every single person in Christ have already been made perfectly righteous with his righteousness. This isn't positional righteousness. This is real righteousness. We have the same righteousness and favored standing before God the Father as Jesus does. Jesus in no way has a better standing with the Father than we do. And that good standing that we have isn't because of us and our righteousness and our justness before god it's because of jesus himself it says in romans 3 26 that he was just and the justifier of him who has faith in christ why did jesus have to be made flesh made human what does this have to do with me well his blood needed to be shed and it was as we said in the last episode blood to redeem us do you know what that means that means that you no longer belong to the devil the devil has no claim or right over you anymore you the devil has no claim you are not under any curse you are not under generational curses you were but the lord became a curse And to say that we're still under some sort of a curse or some sort of generational curse or whatever people say these days is to say that Jesus did not become enough of a curse. Let me say that again. To say in any way, shape, or form that we, the believer, the one in Christ, born again by the grace of God, are still in some way under a curse is to say that Jesus didn't do it enough when he became a curse for us. He certainly didn't become a curse for himself because he's perfectly righteous. There was no curse at all, but blessing. He was cursed with our curse. So he redeemed us so that the with his blood, that the devil would have no claim or no right over you anymore. You say, Mark, or you say, Mark why am I being beaten up of the devil? The devil's a deceiver. He'll try to get you to believe something that's not true and try to deprive you from enjoying the reality of what Jesus has already done. You are no longer, you no longer belong to darkness. You no longer belong to the devil and you are no longer a slave to sin or Satan. That's because of the redemption blood. That blood was shed to redeem us so that, we would belong to God. God calls us his own. You know, I'm a dad and I have children and they are my own and I love them and I have a responsibility for them. You know, when you have something that you that belongs to you, you hopefully you take care of it. Well, God's perfect. He takes care of what belongs to him. God calls you his own. God takes care of you. God loves you. That's what redemption blood means. Jesus' blood needed to be shed to cleanse us. You know what that means? That means we are clean. That means we are pure. It isn't because we got sin out of our life. We are clean because we were cleansed. And that cleansing happened with no less than the blood, the precious, perfect blood of of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know with some of you there's this, but 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 what about this? What about that? But nothing. Perfect blood was shed to perfectly cleanse you. You are clean. Paul, when he was dealing with the sinning, sexually immoral Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Why did he tell them that? He's saying, now walk as who you really are, clean, justified, holy. That blood did that. The blood was shed to make us holy. And that means set apart for God. That means that God himself has made us holy with a perfect, complete, and total sanctification. We are holy, not because we got everything right and we were good people and we got rid of our sin. No, we're holy because God has made us holy. And that's why the apostle Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, you are holy. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. We've got things so messed up and so backwards in the church. We tell people you're sinners. We tell people you're not holy. We tell people you're not clean. We tell people you're not pure. And then we wonder why they go around sinning all the time. That's not God's design. God's design is to make us holy, to make us clean, to make us whole. That blood, perfect blood, has accomplished that for us. The blood, as we indicated in the last session, was shed to institute the new covenant. this is much more than just a contract a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties between and in this case god and man and this new covenant you could call it the covenant of grace brings us into all the unmerited favor and blessings of god that's what the new covenant does it, it the new covenant is about, not about your promises to God, and you break. It is about God's promises and faithfulness to you, and he keeps that. And it's not based upon our performance. It's not based on your performance, pass or fail. But the new covenant is based upon Jesus Christ's perfect performance done. I could talk a whole lot about the New Covenant, and our series um, called um, Hebrews, The Glory of the New Covenant, gets into this so much. Last time, under Why the Incarnation, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I just want to pull this out quickly. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning in verse 5, it says this, Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. He's speaking with God the Father. Then I said, Jesus said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Jesus, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, which is the covenant of law, that he may establish the second. By that will, whose will? Whose will was it by that will jesus will saying i will do it father we have been sanctified have been sanctified have been sanctified how can we teach the sanctification is somehow a process with this language right here through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all and if you have a problem with me saying that i have a whole six-part series that deals with this on my website Uh, called living in the reality of perfect sanctification. You see, Jesus perfectly sanctified us through the offering of the body, his body, once and for all. So we look at this and we look at what Jesus did. In verse five, it says, a body you have prepared for me. What benefit does that have? Well, your body and blood couldn't make things right with God. So a body was needed and his body was perfect for all that God wanted to accomplish for you. He also said in verse 7, I have come to do your will, O God. Well, what does that have to do with you? Well, he said, I will because you and I have a big problem with I will, don't we? Do we perfectly say I will to God in all circumstances in perfect obedience with joy from the heart? No, of course not. But He did. And we have been brought into the full benefits of His obedience. Jesus said, I have come to do your will, O God, so that God's favor and blessings would not be based upon our fickle, faltering will. But Jesus' solid, loving, obedient will saying, I will, Father, I will do it. I will obey. And with that perfect will, with his perfect submission to God the Father, you are brought into the full benefits of total salvation. Let me say that again. Because Jesus came and said, Father, I have come to do your will, O God, and he did it With that perfect will, with that perfect submission to God the Father, you are brought into the full benefits of total salvation. Man, that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. We are brought into right relationship with God. Everything with us, between us and God, is totally perfectly good because we have the standing of Jesus Christ. We belong to God. We are not our own. We belong to one who has infinite love. We are brought into the blessings of God, the love of God, and the total acceptance of God. That is what this has brought us into. That's the benefit that we can enjoy right now. Oh man, how I wish I would have known this 20 years ago. I wish I would have understood it to the degree I understand it today 10 years ago. You see, for so long, I believed that in order to get the blessings of God, I had to behave properly. That's totally backwards. You can't behave properly without the blessings of God. You say, well, doesn't the Bible, Mark, say something about, you know, if you obey, you'll be blessed? Yeah, that's called the law. And as it says in the scripture, Jesus has fulfilled the law, setting it aside, bringing in something else infinitely better the law has you and your righteousness in the center the new covenant has jesus and his righteousness in the center which one's better oh come on the new covenant is infinitely better and it brings us into everything that god the father our loving heavenly father means for us to be a part of you know because jesus is a perfect son with perfect obedience to the father he is that and it, it we needed that because we couldn't perfectly obey anybody perfectly obey okay, obey god i haven't the bible says none is righteous no not one we needed to have someone who would live the perfect life so that we don't have to we needed a perfect high priest because We needed someone to accomplish all to bring us back to God the Father. We needed someone who would bring perfect suffering so that he could enter into all of our suffering. We needed one with perfect blood to cleanse us and make us holy and bring us into all the benefits of the new covenant. We needed a perfect lamb of God because his innocence becomes our innocence. We needed a perfect sacrifice so that we don't have to sacrifice in order to be brought into right standing with God. He needed to die the perfect death so that we would not have to face eternal death in hell. He rose with a perfect death because we needed life, new life. And he has a perfect ascension on the throne of God above all principality and power because we have been mired in that. And with that perfect ascension, he has brought us up with him. Remember what the illustration that I had about the water in the bottle? You are in Christ. Where is he right now? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father in the favored position. And Jesus perfectly reigns from the throne of god you know it says in romans 5 that death condemnation and sin reigned but now with jesus and his righteousness and finished work he reigns from the throne of god and it says in romans chapter 5 verse 17 that those who have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life that's what The incarnation, the reality of God becoming flesh, Jesus in flesh has done for us. So you see all of that perfection, the perfect son living a perfect life, a perfect high priest with perfect suffering, perfect blood, perfect lamb of God, perfect sacrifice, perfect death, perfect resurrection, perfect ascension, perfect reign from the throne of God. How in the world can you improve perfect How can we say that's not enough? That's not good enough. You know, we hear this and and there's this little knee-jerk reaction that we have, this little instinct that goes, yeah, but. And that's us wanting to climb into the thing, you know, and add our little do and steal the glory. Ooh, that's true. How can we say that we are not complete when he is perfect completion how the incarnation jesus shared in our humanity, humanity yet without sin so that we may be partakers of the divine nature that is incredibly huge and then over in hebrews chapter 4 And we touched on this the last time, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, podcast are looking at okay so what does the incarnation have to do with me what does it have to do with you well i think you can tell quite a bit in what we've been teaching so far but look at this because of this great high priest who has accomplished all verse 16 let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You, a person does not need mercy unless they are guilty. Right? A person does not need mercy unless they are guilty. So it presupposes wrong has been done. And it says grace to help in time of need. That infers that we are needy. And because of what he has done in the flesh, in the body, we can indeed come boldly before the throne of grace grace is god loving us accepting us and blessing us not because we're so good but because he is that good and we are the happy beneficiaries of it all you see we have this great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses he can say hey i know what it's like he was blasted with every temptation as we are yet without sin and because of that we can indeed come boldly we can go to that throne of grace we can obtain the mercy we can find the grace to help in time of need i want to wrap up our podcast this time with the thought and the idea that god is actually incarnate in a body yet again in me and in you for every person in Christ God is incarnate once again in in me and in you the church is known as the body of Christ right god colossians chapter 1 i love it it says uh let's flip over there for just a moment colossians chapter 1 You know, of course, Colossians chapter one is just so full of the greatness and the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you get to um, verse 26, it says this, the mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints, to them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh man, think of that. God himself inside of you, the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, the omnipresent one, the Perfectly righteous one, the perfectly holy one, the perfectly good one, the perfectly able one. God's answer for you, friend, is Christ inside of you. In you. Is there anything too difficult for Him? No. That's why Paul could say over in Philippians chapter four, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It isn't Christ way out there, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the hope of glory refers to the fact that Christ inside of us allows us to reach the full zenith of our humanity to the glory of God. All that Father God dreamt when he created us is brought to its completeness and its fulfillment because of Christ inside of us. Man, that's powerful. Man, that's life-changing. And then the other part of the incarnation is this, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Just flip over a little bit, a few verses down. It says this, For in him... In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness. You know, I could say all the Godhead bodily, but it says all the fullness. This Greek word is also used to refer to the oceans that are teeming with life, the fullness, all of the divinity, all of the Father, all of the Spirit, all of the Son are intrinsic in the Lord Jesus Christ. No Bible-believing Christian would doubt that. They would say, yes, Brother Mark, I'm Orthodox, and it's true, all of the fullness of the deity dwells bodily in him. Yeah, that's nice, but what does that have to do with you? Look at verse 10. It says this, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Did you hear that? you are complete in him you are complete you are complete you are complete i'm not saying that god is saying that but what happens is religion gets a hold of this and says oh oh no 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 mark don't don't teach people that you oh no 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 i'm teaching what the word of god says the word of god says you are complete in him but you know what we do you know what i do We hear a statement like that, and then we look at ourselves and we go, Huh? Oh, I'm not really complete. No, you are not your completion. Your completion isn't doing all the right things over many, many years and trying hard to be a good Christian. Your completion isn't a process. It isn't a destination. Your completion is a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. You are complete in Him. Wow, that makes all the difference in the world. See, God, in creating us, never intended for a human being to find any form of completeness, any form of satisfaction, any form of fulfillment apart from God. He is the creator. We are the creature. And by definition, not being the creator, but being the creature That means that we are needy. That means that we're weak. That means that we're not omnipotent like he is. We're not all-knowing like he is. So that presupposes that there are some things I can't do. There are some things I don't know. But when you take the one who is omnipotent, the one all-powerful, the one who is omniscient, all-knowing, and you are in him, the benefits of omnipotence, the benefits um, of omniscience, of all those things become yours. You see, the full benefits of Christ's divinity become mine through the agency of his full humanity. Let me say that again. The full benefits of Christ's divinity become mine through the agency of his full humanity. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you become God. That's ridiculous. But just like an amalgam, you know what an amalgam is it's when you take two metals and fuse them together and they become one that the, the the strengths and the positive attributes of each metal uh, are brought together in this new metal, this, this amalgam, yet they 're still distinct that 's the way it is with the Lord. In union with him, there is an amalgam of the human and the divine. And all of that has been made possible through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Had he not been made human, all that we've been talking about would not be. It would not be in reality. It would be a dream. But he did it. He did become incarnate. He did live the perfect life. He did do all the things that I talked about, the full perfection, so that the full benefits of his divinity would become ours through the agency of his full humanity. This is a game changer. It totally changes everything. And this is really the secret of the Christian life. It is the great secret. I receive the full benefits of Christ's divinity to the agency of christ's humanity now that doesn't mean that i go around you know i have omnipotent power <laughs> yeah. oh, i'm gonna move galaxies around that's silly you see we've received a person right who has a mind who has a will called god's will it isn't do whatever you know you want with this power this isn't star wars you know may the force be with you this is game changer is the person of the lord jesus christ inside of you and you inside of him and as christians we are learning about the the ability of christ inside of us who Who he is inside of us. That's what I want to say. The benefit of who he is inside of us. And we are also learning about who we are inside of him. And this is all true. All brought to us through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it have to do with you and me? We couldn't live without it. Not God way out there, but God inside of us. Not me a million miles away from God, but me inside of God. We have so many funny ideas. We think that, oh, you know, Christ isn't really in me. I've really let him down. I'm distant. I'm far from God. Do you know that's all not true? If you are a believer, you are in Christ because God the Father put you in. So to say that you're not in Christ for some reason, like you were, but you're not, is to say that you are stronger than God the Father who put you in there in the first place. And I'm referencing 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Please turn to that for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And that reads, But of him... Of God are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Of God are you in Christ. It's not of yourself. It's something that God the Father did. And aren't you glad that God the Father did it? Because if it was up to me, I'd mess it up really good. (laughs) You know what's really amazing? Verse 30, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 is sandwiched between two very very powerful verses that really give the reason why this is the case. Are you ready for this? Look up to verse 29, the verse right before it says that no flesh should glory in his presence. And now the verse right after, that verse 30, that as it is written, he who glories let him glory in the lord that's the reason why ultimately god gets the glory and not us not our ability not how righteous and good and holy and pure we think we are because as it says over in isaiah our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy god the apostle paul said in philippians chapter three that it's dung d-u-n-g dung poo that's our best Obviously, it's not based upon that. And obviously, our Christian life is the reality of the fact that God the Father placed us in the Son and God the Father has made Him, Jesus, unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Let's pray. Father, oh, we worship You right now and we thank You for this Wow, this is so amazing, Father. It, it's so incredible to, to, to think that you would love us this much. Go to such extraordinary ends to bring us near to you, to bring us into your love circle, to bring us into blessing, to bring us into acceptance, full acceptance, to bring us into full righteousness. Father, thank you for your great heart of love, you so loving the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, Father, that you have placed us in Christ, and you, dear Father, have made Jesus unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, let him who glories glory in the Lord. Father, I pray that you by the Spirit would just continue to bring enlightenment to this word that has been brought forth. Lord, that we would see clearly, not relying upon our own human ability to grasp or understand this, but upon your infinite ability to bring understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.